What does an 18-year veteran of the tech industry and a 20-year veteran of the military have in common? More than you might think. Welcome everyone to the, the Second, Second Act podcast, podcast, leveling up your life's journey. Good morning, John. Hey, what's going on, Michael? How you doing, sir? I am doing well for Tuesday, Halloween. Uh, yes, October thirty first today. You got your costume picked out? Uh, yeah, my costume's uh that of a dad uh, today. Okay. okay. Um, so yeah, it, we haven't graduated to the family costume situation yet. I know a lot of families that that do that, but. Uh, we, we opted out for that this year. How about you? We, my wife and I have never dressed up in, um, you know, in costumes that are in sync. So we are going as, um, how oh, the painter, my mind just, uh, escaped me. Um, she is a canvas and <laughs> I am going as the painter who painted, you know, the, the beautiful trees and the, the, you know, the lovely mountains and what's his name? Why did, why did, why Not did we a, hit record? Uh, Bob, is it? Bob uh, Ross. Thank you. Bob Ross. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I am Bob Ross. I've got the wig. I've got everything we need. She's yes. my canvas. And, uh, yeah, as we're going as, and then my, my kids are, you know, my, my son is on a back to the future kick. So he's going as Marty from back to the future one. Okay. And my youngest son is going as a caveman. So. Yeah. Very um, good. Yeah, so we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a little chilly. It snowed here yes. over the weekend. I don't know about you up there in Denver, but uh, we got a couple inches here, so um, pretty exciting, but now it's a mess. We had six or eight inches here, and it started Jeez. to melt yesterday, um, and hopefully it's going to melt some more today so that uh, all of these amazing decorations that my son uh, put out there... Um, <laughs> Everyone can can appreciate. I mean, he a lot of hard work went into into the uh, outdoor decoration design this year, and it looks kind of spooky, like the haunted mansion outside. It's nice, cool. yeah. nice. Well, cool, man. I'm excited. I'm excited to see some pictures. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. should we kick this off? Let's do it. Uh, yeah. So, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are um, here now on episode nine. Uh, in our last episode, we took a step forward, introducing our first guest, Jeremy Balon, uh, who's also our producer. He's also worked with some big names in showbiz, uh, and he gave us a window into his childhood, what motivates him, how he came to be the person he is today. And he's a, he's uh, a stud too. He, he is super awesome. That was um, a fun interview for for me to sit in on and listen to it, and and let him open up about that, about his journey in life, man. Great. Absolutely. Great story. Yeah. And you can tell how polished, I mean, he's, he's an experienced podcaster, unlike us. John, <laughs> so you, you can tell he's ready to go on these things. Um, yeah. that silky smooth voice that he had, <laughs> but it, you know, it never ceases to amaze me, uh, what people have gone through. Um, and until you sort of really build that connection and get to know people, you know, understand how they've persevered uh, in life um, and how we all are really a reflection of the summation of our life experiences. 
Um, so you and I have talked surface level about who we are and why we are pursuing second acts in our lives. Yeah. But we have not gone deep with the audience about who we are as a person, like getting to know us a little more. Okay. And I've gotten some feedback from people like, hey, I heard this in the, the, this episode or, oh, that sounded really interesting. Can you guys dive a little bit deeper into that thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important um, for the audience to understand more about who we are, uh, what has shaped our us and our thinking, how you and I are similar, and then maybe how we're different in some ways. Sure. Because, uh, you know, we, we come from different backgrounds. We have different audiences. Absolutely. You know, 20 years in the military, 18 years in tech. We're going to have different cohorts of people that, that we've worked with and built friendships with. And there, some people are like, well, that's the strangest marriage ever. You know, military and tech, uh, yeah. Marine versus like, uh, you know, Miami city kid. And uh, it's like, I think it just makes the conversation more interesting. So in yep. this episode, yep. you know, we're going to be asking each other some questions. I think you're going to start, John, if we run out of time, uh, we'll probably punt your questions for me into the next episode, but hopefully we're providing some candid feedback. Uh, and giving people a window into us as individuals. Yeah, man. Let's let's do it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right. Number one question. I, I wrote these down uh, just based on some feedback. And, and even I know you and I have shared uh, offline yeah. some things about each other. So I know a little bit more about you than the audience does. But it's always good to revisit and maybe even go a little bit deeper than than what we've shared with each other before. Sure. You've mentioned that you you grew up in Oklahoma. So tell us briefly about your childhood growing up, some of the the life events that shaped who you are and how faith has played such an important role in your life from an early age. Yeah. Well, Michael, um, first of all, you know, it's it's an honor to be here with you. We do have different backgrounds and different experiences, and it's really cool to hear those differences um, play out and and not only are they differences, but they're also supporting differences. And so, we, you know, we have these these different stories, but it's interesting to see how they're kind of intertwining, like two two cogs meshing up and and making something greater out of it. So, uh, I just want to get that plug in there before I start. But yeah, yeah, I grew up in Oklahoma, um, twenty two years, born and raised there. Thought that I was going to live there my entire life. Went to a small Christian school you know, um, for, you know, kindergarten through 12th grade, graduated, went to Oral Roberts University, who's uh, also a little known, a little Christian school there in Tulsa, well known for baseball, basketball, uh, but graduated from um, Oklahoma or from Oral Roberts University and decided to move away um, through a series of events, but I'll back up. So, Phenomenal childhood. I'm definitely blessed. Uh, when I was growing up, my parents got divorced, um, but my dad got remarried, and the the my mother, who my the lady that came in and took over as my mother and adopted me, did a phenomenal job. She definitely stepped up, stepped in, and helped raise me into the person I am today. My dad, while he was single. Um, had this extraordinary pressure of raising a child while he was also full-time running the Tulsa airport. And so just a real testament to his fortitude 
and his uh, grit to raise a, a boy, a little boy, you know, and do it on his own um, while he's navigating the pressures of life. So I, I definitely feel blessed to have that story and have that, you know, testimony of, um, you know, now a whole family and then being able to have that restored. But uh, yeah, I, when I was in Oklahoma, uh, in Tulsa, I thought I was, that was just where I was going to be. I loved it. Um, I loved the, the friends I had, the, the family, the church, the, you know, experiences I had going to the lake in the summer. And that shaped a lot of my thinking. And I thought that when I graduated from college, I was going to stay there. In fact, I got a job offer, two job offers as a junior at Oral Roberts. And I thought, man, this is great. I'm going to graduate. I get to have a job. I get to stay here. Maybe one day I'll grow up, move to a bigger city like Dallas or, or something and really make something of myself. But then the more I started thinking about it, I thought, man, I'm here. I am 21, 22 years old. I've got a job offer. I'm going to go work, you know, not, not that there's anything wrong with, you know, working, you know, at a, at a sedentary job, but doing something. And it felt like my life was almost too planned out. Yeah. And uh, something was planted in me, and uh, friend of a friend of mine and myself, we walked to the recruiter recruiter's office, military recruiter's office, and man, we just something struck a chord, and I was like, "This is this feels right. This is what I'm supposed to do." And um, you know, I have had family members that served in the military as well, and and you kind of feel like oh, this is my time. This is what I need to do. Um, and uh, I joined. I joined, and then a year later, I—I uh, I mean, I signed the line, dotted line, and a year later, I graduated from college. World had changed significantly then. You know, if I went, signed the the dotted line in two thousand one, graduated two thousand two. So obviously, September eleventh had happened in between there. But graduated. So you you signed before nine eleven. Yeah, yeah, oh a my. month before. Yeah, with the commitment a that I was going to do this. Um, and yeah, so I graduated from college and two months later I was at, in Quantico, Virginia, going to officer candidate school, which is the officer boot camp in the Marine mm -hmm. Corps. And, uh, 10 weeks later I was uh, a second Lieutenant, um, in the Marine Corps going to what was called the basic school that all Marines go to, and then to flight school after that. So, you know, really, um, through that that narrative, um, have blessed to have a loving family, to have friends and, you know, the, the environment that I grew up in that really shaped and developed the character that I had going into the military that, um, has now, you know, sustained me through, through 20 years of, um, through 20 years of that first career. So, uh, just, just a blessed, blessed life if, if I can say so. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it. And it sounds like faith has played an important role throughout every yeah. stage of your life. Yeah. Um, from early childhood, went to a Christian school, went to a Christian university. Yep. Um, are there specific life events that strengthened your faith that uh, oh, wow. you want to share? Or uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I, they are significant. Um, and they're significant, like everybody's story has significant events, but yep. you know, the, the 
summation of the of the significant events that have challenged me and and have made me um, come out stronger. Um, you know, just the divorce. My wife and I both come from divorced families, and um, we have resolved to to end that uh, within our family, um, uh-huh. and that's really strengthened our marriage. Um, when I was a sophomore in college, so this is 1999, um, my birth mother actually committed suicide. Um, subsequently my aunt and my grandfather on my mother's side also committed suicide. Um, those are significant events in that, you know, a lot of people say that, that suicide is, is in the blood and it, it will come back to haunt you. Um, and I am here to say that even though those life events have occurred, that I am trying to break, I will break that narrative. It will not affect me. And it, it's not like, it's not a challenge. It's, it's just not going to, um, define my life. Um, and then when I was in the Marine Corps, my wife and I were stationed in Hawaii. We had already had one child and our second child, Brooklyn, um, our daughter was born and 86 days later, she passed away after spending all 86 days in the NICU. So another event that really challenged my wife and I in our marriage, but we were able to come out stronger, both in our communication and in our faith and really now be hopefully, um, individuals and and a family that can speak into other people's lives who are going through the same situation or similar situations and encourage them, um, that even though we don't, we may not know the outcome or not have control of the outcome, there are still ways that we can come out of it better than we were before. So yeah, it's, um, it really, again, I, I, I look back at how God's blessed my my marriage and and my life and allowed mm-hmm. me to come out of those situations um, stronger. So, wow, yeah, faith is faith has definitely played a role and has definitely been strengthened through some of those experiences. Yeah, and I mean those are some, I mean those are some significant experiences. Yeah, dealing with uh, a family history of mental health issues. Um, uh, that sort of impacted you as a child, uh, life events with, um, your daughter, um, and, uh, just historically, uh, the family dynamics, you know, having your faith to lean on, uh, and lean into in, in times of need. Yeah. Uh, that community is, um, it's a powerful thing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's see if we can, uh, See if we can get to <laughs> something a little bit lighter. Uh, that yeah. was we we got into something heavy right yeah, out of the gate. But thank you, <laughs> no, thank you for for sharing that, John. I know uh, there's people in the audience that um, can certainly relate, understand. Maybe they've been impacted themselves by some of that stuff. Yeah. So it's it's good to put that out there and uh, just let people know that that they're not alone. Absolutely. Um, you've mentioned. Uh, I think. It, was not the episode with Jeremy, but in the episode prior to that, you'd gone to an event um, called the Kingdom Event, which is also uh, oriented around faith. And then yeah. uh, having five men in your life, and I know you've also mentioned your wife uh, and probably other women who have also been important figures in your life. Tell us a little bit more about that. That sounds funny. My wife is the most important woman in my life. <laughs> But yeah, sorry, uh, yes. if I phrase that oh. in a way that 
that was um, totally by accident. If she actually yeah. listens to this episode, she is the most yeah. important woman in my life. Um, of many course, of course. Women, to include my mother and my mother-in-law yes. and my grandmother. Yes, those other women have played uh, significant <laughs> um, portions of my life. And yeah, so the five men um, in my life, I call them the five pillars. So I just spoke about my dad and, and really his test in my testimony with him being persistent in and keeping me and raising me as a single father. But, you know, there's a there's a point in life where a man has to branch off from the family and he wants to go his own way. We really want to stretch his own boundaries and figure out who he is. Mm-hmm. Well, that period of my life was when I was at Oral Roberts University, even though I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was eight miles away from the house that I grew up in and was living on campus and making probably not the best decisions because I was out of the the shelter that I had grown up in. So here I am, you know, freshman, sophomore year, make certain to make these decisions. I've got a couple jobs. I'm working hard. I'm going to school. I'm playing a ton of sports and doing this, you know, having this full college experience. Um, and I had these men that would that were slowly creeping into my life, whether it was intentional or not. I believe that they were, you know, ordained by God to be in my life to help give me direction when I didn't really want to listen to the direction that my father was giving me or to the direction that he had instilled in me and the character that he had, you know, solidified in my life. These five men really stepped hmm. up in these integral roles to really speak into my life and say, John, listen, we, you know, we see what you're doing and and you've got more potential than that. Or what are you doing? Why, why are you, you know, succumbing to the easy road? Why aren't you doing things that challenge you more? And it wasn't that it was in a fatherly figure, um, or it wasn't that it was like a father stepping in. It was still a good advice like a father would give, but it, because it was outside that role, it seemed to just resonate differently. And so these five men, one was my pastor at the time. Um, three of the men came from the job, one of the jobs that I had worked at for two years, <laughs> a uh, logistical company in Tulsa called Trinity Chemical. And then another one was um, uh, just a, fa- a father figure that was in the church. Um, and so th- these these five men, I, I, I cherish the relationship that I have with them. And really, you know, try to honor them whenever I get a chance. Yeah. Um, but they were the ones that, that kind of corralled me and brought me along and said, hey, we just think that you have more potential. You have greater things in your life than you're aiming for right now. And so, you know, because those five men have spoken into my life the way they have, I have tried to dedicate my life, you know, now that I'm at the same place they were, I've tried to dedicate my time to finding people like myself, you know, 25 years ago and help bring them along by just encouraging them, by just seeing things outside of their perspective or outside of, you know, what they're focused on and saying, Hey, did you ever consider this? Or have you thought about going about things this way? Or maybe you need to step up and be the man for your family that, um, I think you're, you have the potential to be. Um, yeah. so, so just really now, 
not trying to, I guess, pay it forward, but pay it back, yeah. pay back the, you know, the, the intentionality that these five men put into my life. Yeah. It, uh, it's funny, your, your parents, your spouse, your sort of inner circle, um, provides you advice and input throughout your life. But for some reason, human nature needs an objective third party, yep. uh, to also provide either supporting information to what you've heard from your inner circle or, um, information that contradicts that maybe, yep. maybe you're, you've been born into some unfortunate circumstances and you're looking for, uh, those guiding lights outside of that bad circumstance to help you, um, yeah. in your journey. And when you think about the life journey in general, it's, it's fascinating how you're really going through life on a razor's edge between uh, good decisions and bad decisions and how easy. Yeah. And we've talked about temptation really from a professional context, like getting off track from what you either your calling is or what you, you've wanted to commit to doing uh, personally for, for the second act of your career. But also, um, you know, temptation and, and other bad deci decisions that seem so easy to make at times and yeah. take you off track. Yep. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people, probably most people do make bad decisions from time to time and, and they're able to, you know, recover from that detour and, and make the right decisions going forward. Um, but it's, uh, I, can, I can certainly relate um, with your story and I'm sure yeah. many of the audience can as well. Yeah, it's you're right. Razor's Edge is is a great um, descriptor. I look back at the things that I had done throughout my life and the how close I was to just that one one you know step further between getting off scot free and being caught, you know, or or making it out alive and and not, you know, and these these decisions that you make, man, it's, it's such a great example of just how, um, life works and you call it grace. You can call it God's provision. You can call it luck. You can call it these different things, but we all have, if you've made it to where I am 43 years old, about to turn 44 and look back, you're like, man, I, I can count on, you know, two hands, um, or more than that, how many times I've been able to walk away from something and, and it turn out for the better. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's wild. It's wild to look back and, and think about those moments. It um, is. And it, it just, when you do, um, it, again, coming back to the, to the second act, pause, reflect, be grateful and, and so thankful for, uh, sort of getting to this point in, in life. Yeah. And, and I'll just, in part, one more thing. There's a story in the Bible um, for anybody that's not familiar. There's a there's ten lepers that are walking down this the street. Leprosy at the time was like a life ending disease. I mean, your fingers fall off, your skin's falling off you, until you yeah. die. Ten lepers are walking down the street, and they Jesus is walking the other direction. They see him, and basically Jesus heals all ten of them. He's like, "You're healed. Go your way." Um, you know. You have shown that you have faith and they turn around and they're so happy because they see 
a complete change in their their life, right? It, immediately, it's the complete change in their skin, and but they also know that that translates to how their life is going to change significantly from being outcast to being, you know, contributing members of society. So these 10 members turn around, they start running home to go show their friends and family. And one stops and he pauses and he turns around and then he comes back and he thanks Jesus for healing him. And Jesus acknowledges there's nine other men that are walking the other direction that didn't come back and thank me, but you're the one that did. And that story has really struck a chord with me. And, and I impart that story to tell other people that if there are people in your life, significant figures in your life that have stepped out of their way to do something for you, it's never too late to go back and thank them. It's never um, too much to thank them again. Um, I, I share that with in, in context with these five men because every time I see these men, I thank them for what they did 25 years ago. And I tell them they planted a seed 25 years ago that came to result yeah. in where I am today. In fact, one of my greatest honors was to have all five of those men standing in front of the Marine One helicopter with me when I flew to Tulsa to okay. support one of the presidents on his trips. And we all five, the five of them and myself, we got a picture together. And it's one of the most important and significant pictures for my life because it's those five men that spoke yeah. into me that got me to where I am today. So um, take the time to go back and thank somebody, significant other, mother, father, stepfather, whoever. Friend. That's that friend yeah. that's stepped into your life, that's given you wisdom, that's helped you significantly in your course of life. Thank them because um, it means more than you think it does. All right. Well, you you brought up uh, flying uh, for the president, uh, and so that's yeah. a great segue um, into just revisiting your military past for a second yeah. and, and dive into a couple of questions uh, that the audience might be wondering. Given twenty years in the Marine Corps yeah. and, and flying the president of the United States as your last uh, role there, so after why after twenty years did you decide to leave? Why not go another five, ten? 20 years and make it to, you know, three-star general or four-star general, <laughs> you know, what's the, I, I know it's easier said than done, yeah. but I appreciate the credit you're giving me. Um, that's, that was probably not possible, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so 20 years, um, it's interesting to look back when I first joined the initial commitment, when you signed up to be a pilot, signed, signed the aviation contract was eight years. And at the time I was like, geez, that's a long time. I mean, eight years, I was 21 years old. I mean, that's that's a, a third of my life that I'm committing to. You know, it's a big commitment. And I thought, yeah. I'm going to get in. I'm going to, you know, go through, you know, boot camp and the basic school and become a Marine and become a Marine aviator and maybe get a couple tours under my belt. And then I'm, I'm out. I want to do something else. And part of that was because of the experience I had in my life, which was raised in one place, um, lived there my whole life and, and really enjoyed it. So I thought to myself, I'm going to do that same thing for, for my wife and kids and get out of the Marine Corps and settle down somewhere and start my life. Almost like it's, 
it's the end of a chapter and it's and it's done. And I I can't have, you know, two chapters intertwine with each other. But uh, as I started going, I I fell in love with the job. I fell in love with the mission. I, you know, obviously huge honor to be called a Marine, wear the mm-hmm. uniform, um, just a significant part of my life. But, you know, I, I started dating now my wife and then we mm-hmm. got married and then we had our first child and I was still really enjoying um, doing the things that was required of me and deploying and it, it worked out when I deployed that my wife and I kept a, a great relationship um, coming back. So we just continued to commit to staying in longer and longer. Yeah. But as you go, you see the end of the tunnel and whether that's at 15, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years, you start recognizing when it's just time. And when I joined this squadron, the last, my last tour was, was with the presidential squadron. I told my wife, this will be the last thing that I do for a couple of reasons. One, I'd already been in for 15 years and uh, fortunately, at 20 years, I was still under the old structure, but at 20 years, you could retire with benefits. So okay. 20 years was kind of a natural mark, but I also got my dream job right there at the end, and that was okay. going to take me to 20 years. Um, I also had, you know, two boys. We had, had lost our daughter, but we had a third child, and um, they were starting to get a little older and recognize when I was gone on deployments or gone on trips um, or just away for a significant amount of time. And nine months is a long time to be gone when you've got a a newborn, when you leave and he can barely hold his head up laying on the bed and you come back home and he's almost walking to you. You know, that's, that's a significant amount of time that you're gone. Um, and, and those milestones that you miss out on, but, um, I, you know, I really felt like this last set of orders was, was my Super Bowl, you know, and then I was, I was winning the Super Bowl and I wanted to go out ahead. I know that I felt like the jobs that were after that were um, still significant, but they wouldn't hold the same place in my heart that this last job did. Um, And so we just had wife and I, and, and even my boys, we had long conversations about what life would look like afterwards and what they wanted to achieve in, in, you know, the next chapter mm-hmm. and what my wife wanted to achieve and where we wanted to do those things. And it just became inevitable that, um, I had, had run that race. I had run and as strong as I could and felt like I was finishing well, let's just, um, get out and do something new as a family this time. Not, not me dragging my family all around the, the country for, for my dream, but let's now do Let's create dreams together as a family. And that's what ultimately allowed us to retire, move to Colorado Springs and and start the second act. Yeah. I, um, I feel bad when I leave Molly home with the dog and my son for a few days to a week, let yeah. alone six to nine months. So do you yeah. have to, in the military, I don't know if you can speak for everyone, but do you, for yourself, do you have to like compartmentalize what's going on to allow you to be focused on your job but uh, and then sort of shift or I, I, help like help us 
non-military folks get into the mind of how how you're able to with yourself being such a family man and having so much yep. love for your family and your faith uh how how can you separate in that moment to go do your job for extended periods of time and then come back uh and sort of be present for the family yeah it, you know the first couple deployments when it was just uh my wife and i or you know the first deployment was just me we were dating the second deployment was my wife and i third deployment was with one child and the second the fourth deployment with was with both of my boys the first two are very different um you know we you kind of just live two separate lives you know it, i'm i'm off in iraq or on a ship for nine months doing my thing and you write home and and it's very it just feels very fragmented um she's doing her thing i'm doing my thing and we know that we're ultimately going to get back together and rejoin those stories but for nine months you just kind of put things on hold um as far as the relationship goes and you still try to make gains but um yeah you're doing you're doing your thing you're focused on the day-to-day but you know that you know life's away you know your your significant other is doing her own thing and and she just has to kind of um, reshift her mindset to get through those nine months. As you have kids, though, you, I, what I tried to do is be very intentional. So, you know, I, Skype was just evolving yeah. um, when my youngest son was around. So we tried to make time where I could see him and he could see my face and really connect with me, even though he might not know who I am or understand what's going on. At least there's that, that connection on a daily basis or weekly basis. And then the, my fourth deployment, I went as far as to be intentional to write a letter to them every single week. So a letter to both of them um, at different ages and different content in the letter, but to say, hey, daddy loves you. I'm here. This is what I'm thinking about today. This is what I want to do when I get back. I would love to read these books with you and kind of set future goals together and you know, oh, the nice. first couple I, I actually just gave to my wife before I left because I knew that there was going to be a transit time for me to get back over, get over to Afghanistan. So she had, you know, the first seven or eight weeks of letters that she would put in the mailbox and the boys could find and, you know, open up and there'd be pictures and stickers and little things like that. And I think that really made the difference, maybe not even for them, but for me to really keep our lives continuing in a meaningful way. So um, I really appreciate her, you know, helping me do that and, and play a part. But yeah, it's it does take significant effort if you want those relationships yeah. to keep, um, you know, keep blossoming. That's a that's definitely a window into a world that I'm I'm very unfamiliar with. My my dad was in the Air Force. Uh, but all, you know, I served the four years and then, and then left. My grandfather was in the Navy also, uh, I think four years and left. Um, so, it, uh, you 20 years going on these long deployments, it's a, it's a world I'll, I'll probably never know and quite understand the way that you do it. Sure. Um, maybe, maybe a spouse has some experience with it, you know, coming from a military Family, I don't know if your wife did or not, or if this is her first. Yeah, having this is you her into first. Them. Did okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Um, it's it sounds tough, but it sounds like you came up with a recipe that worked for you and and your family. And uh, those yep. letters uh, and those commitments in those letters are, I bet those are pretty special. Yeah, to your kids. Yeah, yeah. They they still pull them out every once in a while and say, "Dad, hey, you said." <laughs> Four years ago, when you were deployed, we were going to do this, and we never have. And so, it's yeah. um, you know, there's there's fun memories, and and yeah. you know, it definitely resonates with them. And and you know, they've kept a couple that were their favorites. So it's it's fun to look back and think about or see what you were thinking about back then. So, nice, yeah. All right, I want to be conscious of time here, John. We'll we'll keep yeah. going as as best we can. I know. Uh, everyone loves to hear about your experience flying for the president. It's a, it's an experience that yeah. most people don't get to have. You flew for two different presidents. Um, sure. Very different presidents. In that role. Yeah, very different presidents. Do you, what is one story from flying one of the presidents that you think the audience would enjoy or find entertaining that you're able to share uh, with them? Oh, man. The one that comes to mind is is the one I've got pictured over my shoulder. But okay. um, one of the most significant flights for me was the first time that I was entrusted to fly um, the president and make the decisions that went into that flight and the coordination and the planning and just be be the integral um, spoke in in that process. Uh, but I got to fly President Trump um, up to Mount Rushmore. Um, fly by Mount Rushmore and then um, land in front of Mount Rushmore for his um, celebration of America. They did um, 2019, July 3rd. Okay. Um, anyway, we we had done a lot of planning. It was a very tight timeline. But uh, one of the things before the president um, arrived, the military aide said, hey, President Trump's really looking forward to flying past Mount Rushmore. Is there any chance that you can get close, I mean, like really close to Mount Rushmore and just, you know, make it worth his while. And, um, you know, there's there's been pictures of of aircraft flying by Mount Rushmore and they're actually uh, very far away, but um, they're still very cool and iconic photos. But I yeah. thought, you know what, we're going to we're going to do this. So I, I ran it past my my boss, my community officer, say this is how this is the distance and spacing that I like to fly past Mount Rushmore. He said, yeah, that sounds good. So the day of President Trump's on board, we're flying by and I, I'm super nervous, super excited, but I know that he is going to, he is going to get a kick out out of how close we get. And uh, so the military aide and I had a plan. He was going to be looking away uh, from the, from the window that he's sitting at. And as we get close to Mount Rushmore, the military aide was going to say, hey, you know, President, look out your window, you'll see Mount Rushmore. Well, I guess that when we were setting this up and he told the president, this is after the fact, he told the president, hey, if you look out your window, you're going to see Mount Rushmore. President Trump thought he was going to be looking a, a, a significant way out the window to see Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Um, and we were 60 feet away from George Washington's nose. So, oh I mean, gosh. you're literally seeing the pitting from the dynamite blasting and, you know, all the, the granite, uh, there, um, right up in the window. I mean, I think he had to, I, he was so shocked that he let out a, a loud exclamation. Um, <laughs> and it seemed like joy 
um, about how close we were flying by. So that that story kind of resonates with me and just um, one of the fun memories that that uh, I have. So, yeah, you can you can put yourself in a very small circle of people who will ever have that experience. <laughs> yeah, both flying the president and then being that close to Mount Rushmore. Yeah, so a a, a park guide who'd been there for forty years said he had never seen an aircraft fly as close as <laughs> we did, and probably will never see it again. So uh, I'll take that um, that record and I'll yeah. hold on to it for a while. I think that's wild. That yeah. is wild. Um, one last question about the military. It seems your identity is tied, at least from the the civilian perspective. Yeah, is tied to your rank and role. Um, I mean, I I think that's how you introduce yourself a lot of the time within the military community. At least when you're meeting people for the first time, uh, or someone has done it for you. What advice do you have, or how do you recommend people adjust to civilian life after leaving something? that's so well-defined for a large part of your career for their career. And it doesn't just, I, I'm thinking about it more conceptually, lessons learned um, in in the transition into the second act that you've experienced from military life, but other people who are transitioning from maybe a, something in their life that has defined them for a long period of time as well. Yeah, that's great, great perspective. You know, when when you're in uniform, even in just your fatigues or, or your cam, you know, camouflage uh, uniform. It's interesting because when you walk into a room, two people or people know two things about you. They know your rank, which typically states how long you've been in and what you've been able to achieve and where they stack up against you and they know your name. So even if they've never met you and you walk into a room and they see Ballinger, they already mm-hmm. know they can associate you know, my identity is, is on my chest and, you know, obviously Marine is on the other side, but now I'm wearing Lieutenant Colonel rank. They know, okay, he's probably been in for 15 to 20 years and he's probably done a couple of these tours and he's, you know, so your resume kind of sits on you. (laughs) It's even more pronounced when you go anywhere in your, your dress uniform, you've got ribbons, you've got shooting badges, you've got your rank. You've got, you know, in the army, you got name tag. So now you're literally walking into a room and showing people your resume. It shows people every deployment you've been on, every medal that you've achieved, whether that's in a unit or your personal um, accomplishments. You show your rank. You show how well you shoot the pistol and rifle. You see all these things that allow you to stack up to other people or allow them to stack up to you. And... As you get older in the military, it's it's a great feeling to walk around and know that, you know, you've got some some years on some people and you can tell some stories or potentially pass on, you know, yeah. some impart some wisdom. But man, I'll tell you what, when you leave the Marine Corps, leave the military, and you go to walk into a coffee shop and you're wearing a flannel and, and shoes. You know, in jeans, um, no one knows anything about you unless they've met you before. Or you walk into a job interview and all you got is this piece of paper that's supposed to sum up all the experience that you have. It can feel incredibly disorienting. It can feel incredibly um, humiliating from the experience you've had before. Yeah. Um, but what I learned is 
there is no difference in how I get to treat people, whether I've got a uniform on or I'm in civilian clothes walking into an interview. I still get to treat those people the exact same way in either circumstance. And it's up to me to impart how they feel about themselves and the experiences they are proud of to, to gain that from, from that, that interaction. And, um, so it's really taught me more about how I treat other people and how I view other people, um, than, than me really caring about how they view me. Um, I, I feel accomplished. I know that I've achieved some things, but now I get the chance to walk in. The guard is down because nobody's looking at me, stacking me up to them. Yeah. I now get to ask them about themselves and it's, it's a much more open conversation. Yeah. It, it's a really interesting and phenomenal point you bring up in p- whether people have had success in their career, like you've had in the military, they've had financial success. They say that when you, when you reach certain levels of success, it doesn't change who you are. It reveals no. who you are. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just find that a very fascinating distinction, um, which you just described, uh, and, you know, speaks to, I think, the person that you are, John, which well, I'm proud to call my co-host. Uh, thanks, man. It, 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 it takes a little bit of time, though, um, because you want to come out of the military and you want to go get that job and you want to make a significant yeah. difference. But then you realize, oh, man, that person literally has no idea what I've done, except if they read it on paper or, you know, start asking those questions. And you really get to just open up and, and figure out who that person is. Um, so it's really cool. It's been a great, great time, great year being out of the military, experiencing civilian life and transitioning, you know, with my family at, uh, at my side. Yeah. I've always thought the resume, um, a, a piece of paper that's one to three pages is kind of a silly way, uh, for, for someone to, um, represent themselves over a lifetime of experience, yeah. both professionally and and what their personal characteristics are. Uh, I'm surprised it hasn't been disrupted yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, LinkedIn is sort of like the digital resume nowadays, but uh, sure, yeah, it's it's when when you think about it at its very sort of basic level, this piece of paper that's nowadays optimized using artificial intelligence around yeah. the job posting that's out there, it's not really who you are. It's uh, it's just something to sort of get your foot in the door and, and then, to your point, like open up the discussion and yeah. try to build that connection. Yeah. It's, it is amazing. It hasn't been disrupted. That's, that's a great point. You know, as, as many other things that have been changed in the way that we pursue jobs and go find um, our next opportunity that we're still walking around with 20 copies of these re- resumes and we hand to somebody and they either put it in a stack of other resumes or they, yeah. you know, toss it and never hear from them again. So it's most wild. of my resumes have gotten tossed, obviously. <laughs> I doubt it. I I doubt it. Um, all right, let's, let's move into the next question. We've got a couple, yep. couple, two, three more. As a personal reflection exercise, you've written your obituary, a, a yep. rather morbid exercise, but one one that forces you to really think about how you want to be remembered by others. 
Yeah. And uh, when we worked together earlier in this year, you had you had me do that, and it yeah. was it was a very strange experience. Um, but tell us how your thoughts came together on that and how it's influencing your life decisions now. Yeah. It was a powerful exercise. Um, and, and we had a little bit of a different criteria. The, the way that we had to write our, our obituary, we had to write two of them. One yeah. is if, as if we could write it ourselves and it was, you know, all the glorious things you normally hear at funerals about people and, and the way their lives are being shared. The other was if we were to die today and nobody could modify how your actual obituary would sound. So I took a second, uh, I took, I took some time and I wrote it from my wife's perspective and I wrote it as if I were to die and she would have the opportunity to warn others, um, about the shortness of life. And I wrote it, it, the way I wrote it, um, it was basically how I, I talked about, I, I t currently talk about my priorities and my priorities are, I put my faith in Jesus Christ as number one. Then my love for my wife is number two, the love for my children as number three. And those are, are distinctly separated. And then everything else after that is four, five, six, seven down the road, down the line. But in the obituary, it, my wife was was reading this to the, the crowd that had come for my funeral. And she said, John always talks about his um, priorities and how they are stacked. Unfortunately, things kept creeping up into that priority list and shifting those, those numbers around. Um, always kind of pushing and, and changing what was important at the time. And then it was her warning other men, you never know how long life is. If you have your priorities in order, stick to those priorities and make sure that those priorities remain the priorities um, because you're not granted tomorrow. Um, yeah. And, and it was kind of a warning, right, to all other men. Um, and it was incredibly profound because now I think about that almost on a daily basis. What am I, what is, what is this task that I'm doing or what is this thing that I'm heading out to do? What, where does that stack in, in my priority list? Is this taking time away from my family? Is this taking time away from my wife? Is this, um, not allowing me to have time in, um, you know, in my faith, or is this, you know, um, challenging the, the time that I set away to go to church with my family on a Sunday. Good. So those questions come up a lot more often, and it really creates a great baseline, a great foundation for how you want to structure your time in your life. And, um, so yeah, I, I encourage everyone to do that. Um, maybe, maybe not have to write it as if you, you couldn't make changes, but write it in a retrospective way of what you've done um, in your life and what you want to achieve. And man, are you pursuing that 1% better? Are you trying to make a difference? Are you being uh, influential in the community that you have to make other people's lives better? Or are you just focusing on your own life? 
trying to make it the best that you can. Um, great, great exercise. Um, yeah. and, and I encourage anyone to do it. So marrying that exercise with now being on your second act in life, how are you defining success in relationship to how you want to be remembered? Um, plus the, th the things that you want to accomplish in your second act. Well, this, my second act, like I alluded to before, it's, it's now a journey down the road of life with my family. It's no mm -hmm. longer by myself or what I can achieve. And my wife was gracious for 15 years to say, Hey John, you go do what you want, do what you want, do what you need to do in the Marine Corps. And we're going to pursue that and we'll be with you. And there's a significant difference between that and now, which is let's go do what we want to do and we're going to be together. So she was with me before. Now we're doing it together. We're doing something together, which, yeah, we don't, we can't work the same job. She's a school teacher and I'm pursuing a couple other interests. So we're not like working together, but yeah, but in a sense, our lives are more combined. They're more joint now than they ever were before, because now we chose where we're going to live together, what we're going to do, what we're going to pursue and what our priorities are going to be. We chose all those things together. So that really encompasses my second act. And my second act is also more about what I can impart in my community those other men that may be a couple of steps behind me, my boys who I definitely want to have men speak into their lives when they don't want to hear from me anymore, <laughs> you know, and, and the community that I'm building so that if I do leave this earth, um, I'm leaving that, um, I'm leaving that for my wife and my boys to, to step into and have the, um, the community that we have built together. Awesome. Yeah. Great question. All right. Any final thoughts you want to share before, uh, I, I guess we're going to run out of time for me to jump in and get questions yeah, in, in sorry. this episode, <laughs> but it, that's okay. No, no. Before I, I take the hot seat in the next yeah. episode, uh, anything you want to share, John, before we, we sign off here? Well, I, I, I alluded to it earlier, Michael. I just, I appreciate what you and I are being able to do together. Um, this is an important part for our communities, you know, for men and women who are on their second act and feeling like they may be on their own. Um, they're not. We are just an extension of that community that I was just talking about building out with my wife and kids. You and I are doing that for um, these people that may be doing something new, that may be worried about getting into something that they've never done before, don't have the experience to get into. We are here to say, we're doing that exact same thing right now. And we're, we're, we've got the community built um, and people are joining every day. And we would love to just have them come along so that we can help together because what we do together is so much greater than what we can do by ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, hot seat indeed, man. You, you, you <laughs> brought some, you brought some questions for me. So thank you. Yeah, but, I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, very much. Uh, I'm sure Jeremy in the background has as well. And, and I'm, I'm hoping our audience, uh, will, when this is released, I really yep. appreciate you sh opening up, uh, at least a window into your, your personal life, John, and sharing some of those specifics with, 
uh, everyone um, about things they may have been wondering about, things I, I was wondering about um, that you haven't already told me. So, um, yeah, just learned a lot today. And um, this has been really awesome. And for yep. for anybody out there who has an interesting second act story uh, to share, um, head on over to michaelandjohn.com, submit your info uh, for a review to be a guest on our show because we we would love to hear y- your personal story, where you want to go in your second act, whatever that may be, whether personal or professional. Um, uh, and we know the audience, they've told us, they, they love hearing the stories, um, especially those where there's been some life-altering event that has caused yep. them to sort of pivot what they're doing and and rethink their their strategy about life. So, um, you know, we have an awesome guest lineup building and we look forward to connecting with everyone again next week. Yeah, and I'll just say real quick, if if any of this resonates, you know, any of my story or Michael's story next week resonates with with you and there's, do you feel like you need to reach out? um, We would love to help. Uh, we'd love to listen. We'd love to provide some resources. So again, michaelandjohn.com, or you can find Michael Newborn on LinkedIn, or you can find myself, John Ballinger, on LinkedIn. We just, we'd love to connect with you, hear um, what you're going through, and then hear also what we can what we can do to help. So absolutely, I know that we've touched on a lot of um, deep topics on today's um, episode, and if you are contemplating suicide or going through situations that you don't feel like you're in control of, I encourage you to reach out. 988 is the number that you call. Um, Hours are 24-7. The cost is free. Or you can text HOME, that's H-O-M-E, to 741-741 to reach a trained crisis counselor through the Crisis Text Line, which is a global non-for-profit organization. It's free, it's 24-7, and it's confidential. Reach out and let them know um, how they can help you. Thanks, John. See you next week. See ya. The Second Act with Michael and John features Michael Newborn and John Ballinger. The podcast is produced by Seltzer Games. For more information on the show, check out michaelandjohn.com, or if you'd like to get involved in the conversation, give the guys a shout on their socials, at The Second Act with Michael and John, on most platforms. Thanks for listening. Go get